0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. The other day I got something from uh, Andy Royer. So apparently, their, uh, their family with this winter has been experiencing a lot of sickness. So that's pretty typical, isn't it, for a lot of our people, uh, they are. They're also doing some planning. They intend um, they to, This I think it's going to be in the summer, it may be over spring break, but I think it's in the summer, they're going to be taking a trip back to Brazil. Of course, you remember that Andy grew up in Brazil. Uh, some of the uh, students that they're training where they're at in Wisconsin, some of them are, are here with the idea of going to isolated areas, and they're gonna go down to Brazil, and Andy and Sarah are gonna take them around to a couple places there uh, that they could possibly, these other individuals may end up serving. So they're working on details on that now, so if you think about it, that's a good thing to be praying also for them that uh, some of those details would work out really, really well. So we're in a part in first john chapter two where it's telling you to beware of the world and so um, there's some warnings that are here and uh, this is old material but it's probably new to you and new to me so that's good um, in the year 2009 there was a wacky warning label contest and have you ever noticed i mean isn't it really weird i remember One of the first ones I remember hearing about on the news was when, uh, two things. One was when somebody was at a drive-up window at McDonald's and they burnt themselves on the hot water for the tea, and then they, they sued because there was no warning label telling you that it could be hot, then they won their lawsuit. The other one that happened that year was somebody bought a push mower at Sears, and they used it as a hedge clipper you know they were lifting it and they apparently lost a finger who would have thought and so um so obviously sears paid the price for that but uh, found some other ones that were from the year 2009 uh, one was on a small tractor has the sticker that reads danger avoid death good advice uh, there's a hair dryer and advises do not use while sleeping (laughs) and on an iron on t-shirt transfer it warns you not to iron while wearing the shirt. and that's good advice there's a bread pudding label that says the product will be hot after heating (laughs) and there's a sleep aid uh, alert uh, for insomniacs that says warning it may cause drowsiness, <laughs> you would hope at least. And in one other, on this list, a child's superhero costume has a label that says, wearing this garment does not enable you to fly. So uh, I'm sure there were a lot of disappointed kids with that. I, I wish that uh, either Mark Dole or Brian White you were here to know about this one. There was a, um, it was called, the off-road commode, okay? It was meant for outdoorsmen. And what it basically does is it attaches to the back of your vehicle on the trailer hitch so you could, um, you know, enjoy the great outdoors. (laughs) But the label on it says, not for use on moving vehicles. And I assume it's because there's no seatbelts. So, um, I'm so glad that somebody in our world cares so much that they want us to heed these warnings. Uh, you know, I think the warnings that the the Apostle John is giving us in his letter of 1 John are probably a lot more significant for you and I to pay attention to. Uh, here John is in his gospel these five chapters there's a series of tests to help us know that we're followers of Jesus that we believe in him and that we have eternal life that's what he wants us to do this he wrote us so we can know that we have eternal life and he's giving us some tests to help us do that so um he wants us to have assurance and some peace that goes with that. But he's also here going to alert us to some of the spiritual hostilities of our world system. Uh, this world is against us. And he's telling us to heed those warnings. So in the first couple of verses, I'm looking at 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to look at verses 12 through 14 to begin with. And he's telling us that because you have Jesus Christ you have a family Isn't that great news that you have a family and it's all because of Christ uh, here's what he says in verses 12 13 and 14 I write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you dear children because you have known the father and I write to you fathers because you have known him who was from the beginning and I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, if you're not familiar with those verses, that's probably sounds just a little bit weird to you, doesn't it? Um, he, he addresses three, groups of people, and then he turns around and addresses them again. Uh, just a little strange. These terms that he's using here are terms of endearment. And he's, uh, he's wanting to remind these readers of his, that they are part of the family of God. He wants to, he's going to give them a warning. He's already taken them through some tests. And if you pass the test, and and if you're a follower of Christ, he's got some very loving thoughts. It's also unusual, not just that he repeats it, but that the order, I think, is a little bit unusual. I wouldn't have written it that way, but I'll tell you why I think he did later. Um, He mentions children, then he mentions the fathers, and then he mentions young men. So he kind of goes from the young to the old to the in-between. Not the way I would have done it, but there's good reason for it. All of these members that he's talking to are at different stages in their spiritual development, but yet they all can together grow in Christ, just like we are here in this room. All of us here are at different levels of our walk with Christ, but yet we all come together for the purpose of growing and knowing him and, and moving on uh, to greater things. The first ones he mentions are the little children. So I'm going to group these things together. When he, when he talks to the little children, um, it's a little bit unusual because in the Greek, he used two different words for the word children. In verse 12, he uses a word that means children who are offspring. But in verse 13, he uses a word that really emphasizes more children who are subject to an authority underneath someone. I don't know all the significance of why that is but both of those are still part of the family and he's probably writing to some who are new in the family of god they're recent converts Uh, and he tells them that their sins are forgiven and they do know the father you know sometimes that's really important for new converts who just come to know and grow in christ To be reminded all the time that I I know you're slipping. I know you're going backwards at times, but you're a follower of Christ. You believe in him. He's forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven, but I do them again. That's that's understandable. Keep working at it, but you're forgiven. God's not going to reject you. He understands. And you do know the Father. You have an end in this family. In verses 13 and 14, it mentions the Father, and it tells tells us that uh, just that concept of the Father is that he's mature in his knowledge and his walk with God, and it's almost always spoken of, of older people. The word elder in Scripture usually does refer to someone older. In fact, Paul warned Timothy about elevating someone too soon who's not ready for that. Because there needs to be some maturity there the knowledge of God the maturity of that that's what John's looking for for all of his people some have said that uh, the Apostle John was at that church in Ephesus for anywhere from 25 to 40 years and when you're in a church that long and you're with the same believers for that long uh, there's probably some that have been walking with Christ almost as long as John has there's some that had known the Lord and, and followed him for a long long time and they've been partners in the church together for a long time and it's just neat to know that they're maturing and growing in God the Apostle Paul when he talked about the maturing process said he would like to see people to come to know Christ and the power of his resurrection Uh, We want to grow and know more about God. It also mentions here in verses 13 and 14 about young men. And that phrase there usually refers to people in the age group of about 24 to 40. We don't normally think of that that way. Although I'm old enough now that, yeah, 40 is really, really young. But, But, yeah, we don't look at it that way. Some of you know... That our missions in Argentina, when they have youth groups, their youth groups are anybody who's single until the age of 30. And you're in the youth group if you're 30 years old and you're not attached to someone else. Um, That's sort of the way this is being used here as well. And what he says about them is really kind of cool. He said they overcome the evil one. They're strong in the Lord. And God's word is in them. Now, I would have probably said it in the opposite order, but I think maybe he's looking at the results and, and then leading back to it. Because I would say the fact that God's word is in them is vitally important because of the spiritual warfare they're going to face. You're going to face opposition and criticism and, and fighting from the outside that you need to be grounded in God's word. And as you get grounded in God's word, then you become stronger in the Lord. And then you're able to really overcome some of the evil that hits you. These have already experienced spiritual victory. So they're obviously in the word. They're obviously uh, becoming strong in the Lord. And now they're having some spiritual victory. I I wondered why the order of children, fathers, and then a young men. And I wonder if it's because of what's coming next. And what's coming next is uh, the enemy of the world and the enemy of false teachers to us. But the young men maybe are listed last because they're the ones who are going to have to deal the strongest with the temptations of the things in this world. When we come to verses 15 through 27, it's going to introduce us to some of the enemies that we have. Now, don't panic. We're not going to cover all those verses today. We're just going to do 15, 16, and 17. Those verses talk about the enemy of the world. And after that, next week, we'll talk about the enemy of, of some of the false teachers. But let me read these words. Many of you are going to find they're familiar in verses 15, 16, and 17. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So as I mentioned, the the first enemy that we have that John's going to bring up is the enemy of the world clearly we are in a battle zone there is true and real spiritual warfare going on all around us
1: so therefore we should
0: not be surprised when there's a conflict between you as a follower of jesus and maybe even someone close to you a friend of yours or somebody you've known for a long time who doesn't take that same position and yet they adamantly oppose you and what you believe in. It's really important that we understand who our enemy is. Really, really important, because we can get misguided and start fighting against the wrong one. And our enemy overall, the enemy that we need to worry about and we deal with, is Satan. Satan's our enemy. People are not our enemy. Philosophies are not our enemy. Political positions are not our enemy. It's Satan who is our enemy. It's Satan who is trying to defeat you and defeat me and, and bring down the name of Christ. Sometimes we get upset at somebody and, and, and we're really angry at them. And, you know, it's not always them. They're just being to, used um, to cause trouble for us. The battle should never be between Christian brothers and sisters that should never happen it does but it should be resolved quickly and things should go on very very well <clears throat> we have a problem with the world and the Christians attitude toward the world we looked at last week in, in second chapter verses 7 through 11 that we are to have a love for believers. It's commanded of us to love believers. But these verses tell us that the love for the world is condemned. We should not have that. In fact, um, the phrase that John used literally says, stop loving the world. Stop it. Stop looking at everything that is luring us toward the world and stop wanting it, loving it, coveting it. So beware of the world that's a good thing we need to understand with the world of what it's like how it operates who's driving it Satan but don't ever join in don't <laughs> buy into it uh, because it will defeat you the world will leave God out of every plan that there is and the world is hostile toward the believers and the world is hostile toward uh, God's word; it cannot tolerate any of that. And yet, this world is speeding toward a dreadful destiny, one that God has ordained and God is in total control of. <clears throat> There's a warning in Scripture, throughout Scripture, about us not being pressed into the world's mold. Many of you know these verses, but uh, Romans 12:2 says, "Do not conform any longer." to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop loving the world. Stop letting, letting everything outside of you form who you are. Uh, let God's word, and God's spirit be the one who uh, renews you and makes you uh, unique and fresh. The Christians who love the world will lose their connection with the father and they're going to lose their connection with god's word and that's going to cause them to stray away uh, and and when that happens when we get um, enveloped by god by the world um, we lose we lose we lose what god has for us and it's a serious concern um, and especially regarding um, compromise here's something that uh Mr. Chesterton once said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. What's one word that would characterize our world today, our culture, as far as relating one person to the other? It's the word tolerance. I mean, haven't we heard that for the last couple decades over and over and over again and i'm convinced uh, i always struggled with how are some of these sinful obviously sinful practices uh, becoming so popularized and accepted and i'm pretty sure that there's somebody who's saying well if i accept your sinful practice then you have to accept my sinful practice and then we can just go on doing what we want to do. Uh, I think Mr. Chesterton's view really challenges that concept, but it's all over our world. Compromise with the world is forbidden for Christians. It tears us from our allegiance with Christ. I don't know who said this next phrase, I don't have it on the screen, but I've seen it over and over and over again Um, among my pastor missionary friends on Facebook. Somebody said, sin, even if legalized by man, is still sin in the eyes of God. And that's true. That's true. I don't care who says, I think it's right. I care more what God says is right than what is not right. Tells us not to love the world. The word love that's used there, it's the one you know. It's the agape love. It's actually in an in a imperative form. So uh, it's telling us this is a command. You are not to love the world. The habitual behavior of loving what is out there that's anti-God, uh, as one scholar said, is verboten that's German for it's forbidden you can't do that whoever's a friend with the world is an enemy with God here's another passage from James that says you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God you wonder so what's the big deal what's why, why is it such a big thing? Why is God so against me blending in totally with my surroundings? Um, I, I was reading, I have a devotional thing, I think I mentioned it before, by uh, Spurgeon. And he just happened to be touching on that. And he said this, um, being satisfied with earth, we are content to do without heaven. The more that we're into this world the more content and relaxed we become we don't need God we don't need his, his will we don't need his word and, uh, and it drags us away by the way in the uh, in the New Testament there's four different words that are used for world uh, the one that's talked about here is a word that you may have heard because we use it in the English language is the word cosmos and uh, it's been used in first john john's going to bring it up five chapters he brings it up 20 times two zero times in his gospel uh, the gospel john he uses it 80 times so he kind of thinks it's important westcott is a greek scholar and he says this about the word cosmos it's talking about the present order of things which lies in the power of Satan, the prince of this world. And it name references John 14, 30. Did you remember that Jesus called Satan the prince of this world? Jesus is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. And he's, he's on his throne today. And he's sitting at the right hand of God the father, but his throne will rule everything someday. But for right now, he says, you know, Satan's the real prince of this world. He's the underling who's uh, got a lot of control going on out there. He is the reason that the world system is an evil world system. And the world brings out uh, characters and characteristics that oppose God. Uh, here's a couple thoughts as to what, why people would be so strongly against God. Because of the antagonism between God and the world. It's it's a battle. God has his ways. Satan has his ways. It is a huge conflict between those two. And the world is temporary. Satan's going to lose. And and he's like uh, a lot of other situations where if you're going down, take down as many as you can with you. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to pull down and rip down as many... As he can possibly rip down to destroy them. He knows his doom is sealed. He knows that he's going to the lake of fire and going to be lost, uh, separated for eternity. And he's just trying to take as many with him that he can. The love of this world and the love of God and the Father are in direct opposition with each other, they are mutually exclusive. You can't do both. So, we list a bunch of things. I like the King James here where it talks about them as the lust of the flesh is formed. And that's basically talking about uh, corrupt physical desires. It's that lower aspect of human nature. It's where people like what is bad. And God's given many good things in this life that are pleasurable and are for our enjoyment and for our good. But we so often use it in the wrong way. And Hurtful ways, and he doesn't want that. He talks about the lust of the eyes, you know, the evil that we desire because we see things—the aesthetic side of things—and it stirs up mental images and pleasures that are totally out of focus with God's word. It's that feast of the eyes. Remember in Genesis chapter three, uh, the temptation scene of Adam and Eve. We're going to talk about that tonight. As far as interpreting scripture but in verse 6 Eve takes the forbidden fruit because she says she could see that it was good for food and it was pleasing to the eye that's what brought everything down it just looked great to her in Joshua chapter 7 when God had told Israel that you're gonna overtake Babylon and you're gonna be victorious but he also said to him, "No matter what you do, no one is to take any spoils from this victory. You're going to beat them and then go away, get up, get out of there." But there was a guy named Achan, and boy, was he Achan at some point. But he, um, it says in verse 25 and 26 of Joshua 7, that he saw the plunder. He knew that the, there was a beautiful robe. And eventually he says, of all other things, that he coveted and took them. And God reversed the fortunes of Israel for a short time. And when they went, they found out there was sin in the camp. And when it was confronted, and Achan knew that he was the reason, Achan and his entire family were wiped out. The lust of the eyes. And then it mentions about the pride of life proud of their possessions, proud of positions, proud of power. And, and even in their day, uh, with the Gnostics, really proud of their knowledge. It's proud pretension that glories in the worldly material things. It's just really proud of stuff. Um, there was a, uh, a particular writer once that said this, many a man has been brought down spiritually when he has climbed up materially. How many times, and actually the the devotion I had by Spurgeon, that was the whole point of it, was how uh, success and prosperity sometimes is a much harder temptation for us to handle than uh, even just uh, having difficult times. So you climb up material, it pulls you down uh, spiritually, and that's very true. These have all claimed their victims. All these things have beaten up billions of people, even us at times, hasn't it? You've been lured away on occasion, and and maybe your mind and your, your set has been in the wrong things. It's really, really, really tragic when it happens to other believers in Christ. That's a terrible thing it says that the world and its desires pass away the actual language there is is more accurate by saying that the world is passing away it's in the process the world is dying down uh, especially spirit, spiritually it's in the process of dissolution we see that throughout history, there's a lot of kingdoms that have come and gone, the Babylonian kingdom, that was the great kingdom. Then Egypt you know, took over and Greece and, and Rome uh, ruled forever. And then Europe was so strong. Then there was this place called the United States that for a long time was really powerful, but they died eventually too. Anyone who loves the world is doomed to disappointment stop loving the world and direct your devotion toward Christ. That's what God wants us to do. And God's not doing that or saying that because he's a cosmic killjoy. He's designed life so that you and I could have the maximum enjoyment, the maximum amount of security and peace, but we have to do it right according to his ways and his plans. The evil in this world is passing away. But God's children continue forever. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for you and for your insights from your word for us. Thank you that the Apostle John reminded us strongly that we need to keep our attention and our focus on you and, and to be strong in our commitment to you and to live for you. The Lord of this world is so strong Satan just so much wants to deceive us into thinking that uh, it won't hurt you, it won't, you won't get caught, whatever the thought is, but it destroys us. It drags us down, destroys families. And we need to be careful as followers of you to live uh, committed to you, your word, your will. Lord, today we just open our hearts that you will search us and speak to us, help us to make choices, commitments that are very strong, that are pleasing to you, and that with your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and lives, that we would be able to uh, follow through and do the things that bring the most honor and glory to you. We ask it through Christ our Savior. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.